welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus has been uh, been avoiding Jerusalem for a time on purpose, uh, because this time had not yet come to to uh, go through what he's fixing to go through. But now he's at that point in John 12 where, where it's time. So he's going toward Jerusalem, and, and as he comes over Jerusalem over the hills, you know, the celebration of, of Passover is anticipated here, and, and thousands upon thousands of people were coming into the city. They, they estimate up to somewhere between 2 and 4 million people would be coming into the city at this point. Uh, you know, everybody's just crowding in. Literally, they were, they were um, you know, renting ships, or whatever you want to call it, from all over the Mediterranean to come into this area for this specific time. And this is a view, one of the views that Jesus would have had if he, as he came over the Mount of Olives and, and the Temple Mount. Um, it'd be a very different picture uh, back in biblical times. And here's a, a scale model of what they think it might have looked like coming over, of course, without the walkway down there on the bottom. But as you look across and you see the hillside going up toward the, the temple and how the temple might have looked at that time. And as he did this, he looked up. And the, he, he was really doing what Zechariah 9.9 had to say. And Zechariah 9.9 said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Israel, uh, Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a fowl of a donkey. So this excitement is building, and Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and you know, so others were coming to see if the story was true, and they wanted to see this man that, that, that they heard had been raised from the dead. So all this stuff is going on, and all these people are coming to the city. I mean, there was excitement building. You know, he'd been dead for four days. I'd, I'd want to go see a guy that, you know, had been dead for four days and is now alive. I mean, I'd be curious. And all these people were just curious. And, and Jesus spoke in, you know, those words that says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus gets up and comes on out. So with all this going on, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And John is, John is very clear here. The disciples, Jesus' friends, did not realize that the end was near. They did not realize that, that Christ would be resurrected from the dead either. They, they came to this point of being around him so much, they didn't really even know it. And centuries later, I mean, there'll be buildings and statues and all this, you know, the disciples. And, and these guys would be honored, and rightly so. We need to be careful how much we honor those guys. Um, but we need to hold them up, but not worship them. But John would have told you, man, Jesus told us, and we had not a clue. We had no clue whatsoever. We didn't know this was a week. That's what John would have said afterward. And sometimes I totally understand that feeling. God has told me a lot of things, and, and some of them I, I get to understand. Some of them I still don't understand. Even when God explains it to me, and I'm just sitting there shaking my head going, I, I, don't, I don't get it. it. It's not logical to me. I'm a logical type of guy. But I follow him because he has proven himself trustworthy in my life. And so many others I've, I've observed. And that's why I follow him. Well, John 12, 16, it starts out. 
At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given these miraculous signs, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So you can kind of see the Pharisees panicking a little bit uh, about Jesus and his followers. And, and um, you know, this is what controlling people do. If, if you're a boss and you have control issues or maybe you're a controller of the family, uh, anything that gets out of whack, any little thing that kind of puts a squeak in the wheel or whatever, you, you kind of you, you start to panic about that. And clearly the whole world has not gone out after Jesus. I mean, that's clear enough. But in that panicky state, you don't realize that. And that's what was going on here. Sanhedrin, the the rulers of Israel, they were kind of freaked out. So if you ever find yourself in the situation where you're panicking because you really feel like it's out of control, you might ask yourself this question. Am I being too controlling here? Am Am I wanting to grab a hold of this thing a little too much? You know, could it be that these things are really outside of my control because the Lord is the one that's ultimately in charge of my life? And that things could could really end up being all right here. See, if the the Pharisees could have relaxed just on, on this thing, they would have seen the handprint of God on this earth. They would have seen God himself walking on the same land as they were walking on, walking down the same streets, praising the same God. They would have seen that, but they were so freaked out, you know? So, so you have the Pharisees, they're kind of one group, and, and you have the people uh, that are gathered around coming to see what was going on, and, and that's another dr- group, and, and the, you know, the people are following after Jesus. And they were expecting Jesus to, to show that he is the Messiah by taking over all of Israel. Uh, not just going, okay, yeah, oh, he's the Messiah. He said he was the Messiah. But they were expecting some type of action, some type of riding in on the big white horse in a sense. Uh, the general coming to town and every, you know, they'd throw the big parade. The parade that he had was a little different. And we'll talk about that as we, as we go along. But he does take over Israel. He does take over Jerusalem, but not in the way that they thought. So the crowds start to turn on him in the end. So you have the Pharisees, you have the crowds, and then you have the disciples. And you've got to give these guys a lot of credit. I mean, they understood the tension that they were under. They understood that, that the, the leaders of Israel did not like Jesus at all. They probably even understood that there was a warrant out for his arrest. And they were probably, you know, doing the whole planning thing. Well, well John, if, you, if you'll go up ahead, make sure there's no guys. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, 12 guys, you know how we are. You know how guys are. We've got to plan it all out. And yet, they went back to Jerusalem with Jesus. They knew that they were after Jesus, but they went back there. Have you ever followed Jesus into a tough situation? When you said, Lord, I'm going to follow you back in this tough situation, but I know, I know it's going to be so tough, but I'm going to follow you. This is exactly what Thomas said when he, when he said, let's go down to Jerusalem, and he said, let's go down there and die. Now, I kind of laugh at that. You know, I, I just, that type of personality. I laugh at stuff like that. But he went. That's the amazing part to me. Here he knew that this is a possibility, and he still went. So they're hanging in there, even though they don't understand. And this is what we do as well. 
Sometimes we go through the toughest things in life. Maybe it's the toughest week that you've ever gone through. These guys were fixing to go into that toughest week they'd ever gone through in their whole life, and they did not understand it. They didn't even get it. And this really bugs me about God sometimes. And I I know, a pastor shouldn't be bugged by God, but I do. I get bugged. You know, have you ever said, Lord, if you could just explain this to me, if you could just give me a glimpse about what's going on, if you could just tell me a couple things, you know, logically, just explain it to me, I'd be so much better off here. I'd follow you to the end of the earth. I'm a logical guy. So he explains, and I go, okay, let's do this. Sometimes he explains, sometimes he doesn't. But John 12, 16 is a great verse to memorize. And you're kind of, John 12, 16? Why would you memorize this verse? At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Memorize that one. Because it helps me to remember, I will not always understand. But in God's timing, I will. So when I read this verse, God does not bug me as much. Because he goes, Alan, you need to deal with that. That's your issue that you have. Deal with it. And all the stuff that the Lord has taken me through has really borne fruit in my life. Do you want to bear fruit for the Lord? Such an easy question, but such a hard answer. Are you sure? Because sometimes He'll take you down a path that you wouldn't be expecting at all. A path that you may not understand sometimes for years. Oh Lord, bear fruit in my life. That's a good prayer. I don't want to discourage you from that prayer. I just want you to, to make sure reality enters into that picture. Maybe right now you're, you're starting to kind of go, okay, I'm starting to understand the last few years. No wonder why I've been going to, you know, through all this stuff. So this is what fertilizer smells like. Maybe what you've been going back through is starting to look like it'll bear some fruit. You know, it's good to be aware of what God has been doing in our lives. It's good to, to understand that I may not always understand So remember, just like the disciples, Jesus rarely stops in the middle of whatever situations he's in with the disciples as he's dragging them along and goes, okay guys, here's what's really going on. He rarely does that. And it's not that he's not loving, it's just that they wouldn't understand. Do you explain everything to a two-year-old? Now, I've seen some parents that try, and it's fun to watch. Okay. Let me tell you what's going on. And they're just like, no, 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 come over here. Let me explain it to you. And they're just like, or they're like, you know, they're just kind of going on. They're not listening. You can't explain everything to to a two-year-old. You know, sometimes we have to remind ourselves that that a two-year-old has to just obey mom and dad. Sometimes the parents have to remind themselves, I am the parent and I am in charge, whether it's a two-year-old or whether it's a 17-year-old. Or a 32-year-old. Okay, we're not going to go there. (laughs) See, the difference between you and God, though, is God is the perfect parent. And as humans, we make mistakes. Praise the Lord that he has two things. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking grace and mercy. I'm thinking grace and a sense of humor. I mean, I love his mercy, but God has a sense of humor sometimes. And he's a perfect parent. So give yourself a little bit of grace as, as those of you that are parenting and so forth because, because you know, you're going to make mistakes. 
But as long as you're going down that path of going toward God, God will, God will turn those mistakes into His glory. Well, in verse 20, John tells us that there were some Greeks that, that came. And it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was uh, from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Now, to understand the whole Greek thing, and uh, you have to really understand the way they were raised. The Greeks were raised to believe in multiple, multiple gods. God of the ocean, God of the sun, God of the land, God of the grapes, God of this, God of that. I mean, multiple gods. But these guys were kind of getting tired of that. You know, kind of got old. Their gods didn't look too good to, to them, uh, you know, in the end. So they finally came to the right person, to the right place. Now, we don't know if Jesus actually met with them. You know, they tried to get to Jesus. We're not really sure. But he did respond because he did reply, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, uh, must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what's, uh, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said, said it had thundered. Others, others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now it is time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the, key, uh, show the kind of death he was going to die. You're going to see Jesus start to talk more and more about his death and his crucifixion. We're like two days away, you know, maybe even the day before he is crucified. Verse 24 says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is talking about his death. He's going, I am going to die. It is part of the plan. I'm not going to back out of that plan now. Because if he doesn't die, what has he accomplished? Lived 33 years, uh, 33 years on this earth and, you know, a perfect life showed us that it could be done. Is that what he accomplished? No. He had to fulfill his purpose of saving us. Going, I know you can't live a perfect life. I want you to try to live as good a life as you can. I want you to try to live a godly life. I know you're going to make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, you come to me, you ask for forgiveness. I'm right there. I'm willing to give you that forgiveness. That's what his purpose was. One of the greatest things that we can hold on to is the fact that our work in this, in this world is not done in vain. Even though we sin, we still serve the one that loves us. And that service will be honored by Him. So I, I know there's sometimes when you feel like this, because I know I feel like this, you know, on, on certain occasions where you're going, I'm not sure if this is all worth it. Man, I, I don't know. It just, it, am I really making a difference? 
When you feel that way, read John 12, 26 again. My father, father will honor the one who serves me. He will honor you for your service. It is not done in vain. Now, another concept that Jesus was sharing with them was one that they would instantly get and you would instantly get. He says, you see this one seed? Either you eat it or you plant it. You eat it, it fulfills you, maybe. But if you plant it, imagine all the things that are going to grow from this one seed. If you plant it, it'll die. How does a seed grow? It has to die. And then it sprouts. I mean, it's amazing how that works. But the, the stuff it produces is enormous. I have to die, he says, just like the seed, so that you can produce, you can help me produce fruit. And he's talking to us about us. Verse 25 says, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is talking about our death. If we want to bear fruit, we have to be able to say, Lord, I don't want my life to be about me. And that is so contrary to what the world teaches us. That is so contrary to the way we've been raised a lot of times. Lord, I don't, it's not about me. I know a lot of people have said things like, I've seen the emptiness of making money or seeking after pleasures. I've seen the best marriages, what happens when, when they don't try to meet each other's needs. No matter how much we accomplish in this life, there's an emptiness that we either try to fill with things or with people or with items or with God. Sometimes it is an either-or question. And to come to find out, only He really fills me to satisfaction. We say, I would like to bear fruit. I want my life to count. Have you ever said that prayer? Have you ever sat back and thought, I really want my life to count? That the legacy is, that, that you leave is, is not about buildings or inventions or, or all these other things that we'd love to, to, you know, our idea of, man, that would be a great legacy. Where others would stand up and grieve and all those things at our funeral and they would say, I would not be serving the Lord today if it was not for this man or woman. That's a legacy to leave. I am a better person because of what they did in their life that affected me for His glory. That's the type of legacy that we want to leave. That one day in heaven they would walk up and say, Thank you. I am the fruit of your life. That's why it's so important to help out in children's ministries and youth ministries. Now I have to tell you, a lot of people, when I was a junior high youth pastor, they'd walk up and say, you know, the, the, the children's ministry uh, workers, they'd walk up and say, I don't know how you deal with those junior hires. And sometimes I understand what they're saying. But then I look back at them and go, I don't know how you deal with those second or third graders. I just don't get it. The Lord puts certain passions in certain people for certain ages. And to affect those is just Amazing. Amazing. We want to bear the right kind of fruit in our life. We really do. That is our goal. That is what we're talking about here. So if that is your passion in life, then guess what? You are going to have to die. Your passion has to die. Well, wait a second, Lord. I have to do what? I was just going to try to stop cussing or lying or start doing, stop doing this or stop doing that. I, I thought that was all, you know, what it was all about. That's all I was going to clean up. 
Lord is like, is that what you thought? This is so far beyond actions. This is about who you are in your life, the totality of your life. Down deep inside, it's, that's what it's about. This is about your will. This is about your passion. Who is on the throne of your life? Who is in charge of your life? That is what has to die. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Is there another God back there I can talk to? Because you're, you're a little too much for me. It doesn't work that way. I want an easier God, one that lets me set the rules. You want me to die? You want me to sacrifice? I don't know. If you love your life, you will lose it. If you hate your life, you will gain it for eternal life. That sounds so backwards to me. There's a lot of things that I love about this life. I mean, wintertime. The snow. I was talking to, to, to somebody today and there was, it came over the grapevine over this weekend. It was just beautiful. The hills were just covered all white. You couldn't even see the, the ground. It was just, you know, beautiful. I love the wintertime. Springtime, the flowers are blooming. The weather is great. Hawaii time. I love Hawaii time. Let me tell you how much I, I mean, I just, you, you get me talking about Hawaii, you can forget about anything else for a good 30, 40 minutes, okay? Because I can tell you all sorts of things. I love, I mean, the fish are just unbelievable. The views are unbelievable. The, even the little children, we went over there and did a VBS once, at a, a mission trip to Hawaii. I know, it was great, though. <laughs> 31 college students, it was awesome. And the children were just beautiful children, ready to be molded for the Lord. I love Hawaii time. Now the Lord is saying that because I love this stuff, I'm supposed to hate it in order to gain eternal life? The Lord is like, no, 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 no. It's not about hating that. It's much deeper than that. As a matter of fact, I want to give you abundant life while you're here on this earth. But to do that, you have to die. Well, well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, he conquered death by dying. The way you do that is by killing the idols in your life. You can enjoy it, but don't make it an idol, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Some of you may go, Lord, how do I guard myself from the enemies of this life? We think that all you have to do is just take away maybe our anger issues or whatever issues we have in life. Or that one thing that I, you know, I always have to avoid because I always get trapped in that or, you know, but it's just so much deeper than that. The Apostle Paul teaches us, you know, the old person that was in him had to die, had to completely die so the new person could be brought into life. The other guy that, that, you know, the other side of Paul, which was Saul, was out there killing Christians, was out there killing the Lord. The Lord said, you're killing me over and over by your actions. Who had to die? The part that didn't give grace, the part that didn't give mercy. See, the new guy was all about grace and reaching out to, you know, for, for that God that, you know, was, was just born in his life. And that salvation that, that needed to be so drastic for him. You know, some people look at Paul and they don't know how to take him. Because he's all about grace and mercy. I mean, he received so much grace in his life. I mean, go back and read in Acts what Paul was doing to, to the Christians. And you will understand what, why, as he was called Saul, why it was such a huge transformation into Paul. 
He received so much grace, but he also knew at the same time the actions that we have in this life count. So he'd be like, hey, hey, hold on. What you're doing right there? It's called a sin. And we don't do that as Christians. You need to turn from that. So, so you kind of get this conundrum of, of grace, yet truth. And those two things coming together can be so impactful into our lives. It's not about keeping us from doing things. It's about what should we be doing that, uh, you know, for the Lord that loves us so much. It's really a never-ending process. We should never get to a point where we say, okay, I finally made it. My old self is completely dead. Don't need to change a thing now. Wouldn't that be great? Because when we do, it becomes all about us again. And the Lord starts to give us an interesting choice. If we want to move forward in our relationship with our Lord, if we want to move forward in that relationship with Jesus, we have to choose to let something die in us. So, that, you know, whatever it is, it's blocking your relationship with him. That has got to die because that's all about me and my little world. And I love me and my little world just as much as you love you and your little world. That's, some of those things have to die. But Lord, not that part of me. Other people have that and they're still bearing fruit. Why do I need to get rid of that? And the Lord is like, you know what, get rid of that and I'm going to replace it with something just so much more amazing than you could ever imagine. But Lord, they get away with that. He's like, oh, okay, so I'm sorry, Alan. I thought you wanted to bear fruit. I'll come back around in a couple of more years and see if you're ready to bear fruit then. Maybe then you'll want to follow me through this death. But when we go through stuff, we think, no way the Lord is in the middle of this. No way the Lord is allowing this to happen in my life. You see, we have trouble believing that God brings discomfort into our lives. We have trouble believing that, that God allows painful things in our lives. Anytime we, we, we go through something painful, we, we, we can't possibly believe that God has something to do with it. And you know what? Usually God does not have, the, uh, ha- have anything to do with us getting into the painful situation. But He allows it to happen because He allows us to walk down our paths that we choose to, to walk down. But he is working together for good, for those who love him, for those who are called, called according to his good purpose. And we know that all good things, all things work together for good. Go ahead and say, and we know, and we know. This is not, and we hope. This is not, and we think, or and we wish. This is not 80% of the time. It is not, we know that all are, we know that several things will work for the good in our lives. It's all things. This thing, maybe this thing you're going through right now, this thing can work out for good in your life. That thing you think that you should just remove from your life, maybe it does need to be removed from your life so you can go on serving Him. Listen, folks, this is about you really going through to the depth of your life, the core of who you are, that God is calling you, you know, through this so he can, he can take you to a place, a place of abundant life. See, the disciples had to go through this weekend of crucifixion to get to the promise. But at the beginning of this, all their dreams all their desires, it all died with Christ on the cross. 
all everything they thought really that was going to happen, everything they were following, it died on the cross. Why? Because they did not understand what was about to happen next. They didn't get it at the time. Peter, <laughs> I don't think it, it took probably 30 minutes for Peter to go back to his old ways. He was already out fishing. His old fears, his denials. As soon as Christ was in chains, Peter was lost. Later on, the power of the Holy Spirit filled Peter. And, and, and Peter didn't need Jesus physically there. But before he was filled with Christ, man, when Christ wasn't physically there, he was completely lost. Later on, he was filled, and we call this the Holy Spirit. But we get these wake-up calls in our life, don't we? We think that sometimes, and I, me, I go through this too, sometimes too, where I think I, I'm just such a mature Christian now, and we're just serving the Lord. And all of a sudden, this rug gets yanked right out from underneath our feet. It's probably just me. I know it doesn't happen to you. And then we find out, I am just this close to giving up. Have you been there? Where your life, you're going along, you think you have things planned out. This has happened twice to me in, in major ways. It always happens in minor ways in all our lives. But twice in major ways where I thought I had things planned out, was going a certain path, and all of a sudden the rug is gone and I'm free falling. And I'm sitting there tumbling along going, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I guess I didn't learn it the first time. He had to do it the second time for me. I don't know. But God calls us to bury the past and move forward. We have to move forward in our relationship with Him. Until we realize that it's deeper than just giving up alcohol or giving up something else in our life or, or you know, whatever it is that prevents you from getting closer to God. It's just not about that one little thing. Those are just symptoms, you know. It's giving our life completely over to Him. You know, you can quit doing all the negative habits in your life and still not die to self. You would improve your life. Stop lying. People respect you more. Your life will be improved. Stop doing other things. People will respect you more. Your life will be improved. But that, doesn't, that still doesn't mean that your life won't move forward in your relationship with Him. Because you haven't died yet. Your will is still your will. How many of you would say, Lord, at the end of my life, I want to look back and I want to see fruit. I feel that way also. Well, let me tell you, there are some things in your life that will have to die to bear fruit. The seed has to die to be able to bear fruit. For, you know, for that to happen in and you're really not done yet because God has taken us through this process. And you have to be willing to go through it. We have to be willing to bury things like angerness, bitterness, rage, and even things that keep coming back up. And we have to be willing to say, Lord, I want, I want you to bury that. I want to bury that today. And the Lord says, okay, Alan, let me bury it for you. No, 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 Lord. I, you know, this thing just happened. I need it for a couple of weeks. I need to make that other person miserable for at least a couple of weeks before we bury this. That's always fun, isn't it? Our humanness says it is. And the Lord says, okay, great. Hold on to that razor blade. But you're going to hurt yourself too. 
or I could take it and bury it so you could forget it. Have you ever buried something and forgot where it was? Maybe like a dog or, you know, as a kid. I mean, we grew up where you could bury that stuff in your backyard. I don't know. Today, probably don't get away with it unless somebody doesn't know. You know, our sprinkler system. Oh, I'll, I'll never forget where that is. And then you're out rototilling and all of a sudden you hit the main sprinkler system and water's going everywhere. One of my last churches, we did that actually. It was kind of fun. What happened? You buried it and you forgot about it. That is what God's talking about. He wants to bear, us to bury something and forget about it completely. Not even mark where it was. The anger, the rage, the bitterness, or pornography, or whatever it is. If we mark these things where we bury them, then we're just storing it for later. We're going to come back to it. We want to store our treasures up in heaven, not here on this earth. So we need to, to not remember where our stuff is buried. We have to let it go. How silly would it be for me to bury something, and uh, too bad it was raining so much because it was all muddy, because I was actually going to take a picture of this, go out and bury something, and, but still grab hold of it. So your arm's like, you know, three quarters of the way in the dirt, and you're, you're holding on to it. I buried it, Lord, but you're still, you still got a hold of it. I buried it. The Lord doesn't want us to do that kind of stuff. Unless a kernel, fall, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Personal question for you. What would you have to do in your life in order for God to take you to that level of intimacy with your relationship with Him? You have to decide. Would I rather hang on to this thing or would I rather go forward with Jesus? That is a decision that you have to make personally. That's not a decision a pastor can make, a Sunday school teacher can make, a really good, you know, mature Christian friend or an unmature Christian friend. That's a decision you have to make for your life. And your decision will determine whether you have abundant life here on this earth or whether you just live a miserable Christian life and make it to heaven. Both ways work. But I would rather have an abundant life than a miserable one. Wouldn't you? God calls us to be people with nothing in our hands. Not holding on to those things that we're trying to bury. So we can truly worship and follow Him. See, the other thing I see here is you have to be willing to to be planted in order to bear fruit. We're kind of transitioning to another thought pattern here. Can you imagine if a tree in your yard decided, I really like where I'm planted right now. And then six months later it goes, I want to be on the other side of the patio. And just gets up and moves over there and you know, plants, replants itself. And keeps replanting and replanting and replanting. Would it ever grow? Would it ever you know, take roots? Would it ever really get the, the nutrition that it should have? No. We have to be willing to be planted. How many uprootings would it take before that tree died? We don't keep digging up the roots of a plant to see if it's growing or not. What do we look for? We look for fruit. You know, if I were to plant myself, there are many great ministry opportunities on the big island of Hawaii. I keep praying about it, but the Lord keeps saying, no, your place is in Tulare. Lord, Tulare? Yes, Alan, not Hawaii. See, we have to allow the Lord to plant us. Because if it was up to me, 
I love you guys. I love Tulare. But there's other places on this earth that I would love to be also. They need to hear Jesus just as much as people here in Tulare do, right? But I, I shouldn't have, I mean, I should give that. I should let that part of myself die and hand it to the Lord and say, Lord, where do you want me? That's where I want to be. So I'm happy. I'm glad. I'm willing to be where the Lord wants me to be for however long that is. Hopefully for a very long time. I'm tired. of. I don't want to uproot anymore. But in comparison to heaven and what he's prepared for us, this is really just child's play. So we don't need to love our lives too much. If we focus on ourselves and our lives here too much, we totally just wreck our lives. Don't focus too much on the here and now. Keep your head up and look forward to the kingdom. Well, let's do a couple more verses and we'll be done. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? John tells us, or shows us this verse to, to tell us that, that there's still confusion about who Jesus is. After three and a half years of ministry, uh, a full-time ministry, we don't, we don't know what he did before that too much, but, but the, you know, just really just ministry years, many of them still didn't get it. And we're talking a few days before the cross. They're looking for the Messiah to come in and take over by force, and, and he's talking about a Messiah that's going to die. And later on, they'll go back to the scriptures and, and they'll read them and they'll read that, that first he had to die for him to conquer. Then then he would come back as that warrior Messiah that they were looking for. How do you conquer death? Do you raise your, your buddy, you know, like Lazarus, you know, raise him from being dead? He did that. But what about your own death? The only way that you can prove that you can go through it is by raising from the dead. And this is what Jesus did. So they're asking about the Son of Man. And you know, and although in, in verse 37 it says, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. I, I, we're going to stop with this right here. But this kind of got me going on this whole idea about signs. You would think with all the signs that Jesus performed, all the things that he did for them to be able to see. You know, have you been following through the book of John? I mean, he turned water into wine. The bread and the fishes, the, you know, the loaves and the fish for, for 5,000 families. He walked on water. He spoke to a storm and it stopped. He healed the sick. He gave sight to a blind man. He cast out demons. He's shown his authority over nature, over sickness, over demonic forces. And he raised his friend from death. With all these signs, they still, not, they still did not believe. And many of these guys had seen these signs. They had read these signs. Because if you don't read signs, they're really of no use to you, are they? If you don't pay attention to the sign, your car is going to get torn up. If you don't pay attention to a sign, you're going to get eaten. I love that. I was actually out there swimming that day in the morning. Yeah, that's a whole other story. If you don't pay attention to the sign, you're going to get burned up. Saying hot lava ahead. If you don't pay attention to the sign, you're going to fall off the cliff and you're going to swing in strong current. If you don't pay attention to the sign, you're going to walk out and you're going to hit a landmine. This is 
on the side of the freeway in Israel. Going down the freeway, they got signs like this, landmines from all the wars that they've had. You have to pay attention to the signs. So let me ask you, what signs has God laid out in your life? Are you paying attention to them? Or have you ignored them? Lord, you're so wonderful that you give us signs. I pray that in our lives today that, that we pay attention to the signs that you give us. Sometimes they're so subtle. It's just a sign on the side of the road. Sometimes it's out in the middle of the road. I pray, Lord, that as we look at those signs, we see you behind it. That we pay attention. That you bring people around us to point out those signs in our lives and say, See that right there? Why, why are you doing that? You're going the wrong way. I thank you for those signs, those warnings that you put in our lives so we don't get hurt. You love us so much you put those signs out there. You love us so much that you want us to turn from our ways and follow you. You love us so much that you showed us, you went ahead of us, and you showed us how to die to self, how to hand over our lives to somebody else. And we hold on to that hope, we hold on to that blessing that you raised yourself from the dead, that you are no longer in the grave. And the hope that we have is that we will go to heaven. And it's that type of hope that we just grab onto, Lord. I thank you so much for that in my life. Because if it were left up to this world, I'd have no hope. I thank you so much for loving me in my life. I thank you so much for ignoring my sin. When I confess it to you, you, just, you bury it and you forget it. I pray, Lord, that you allow me to bury those things in my life that don't produce good fruit, that take me down the wrong path. I want to produce good fruit, Lord. We want to produce fruit. And I pray that you give us a sign that says good fruit this way. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and upon those signs that he puts out for you. May his face never turn from you. May his grace always be abundant in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.